This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand that some of our opinions will not be shared with many people and hope you can still bear with us in order to hear amazing Wisconsin-based stories. We are not licensed therapists or able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source materials included for each episode. Now Now on on to to the the show. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Well, that's good. Um, I don't have any true crime news this week. Do you? No. Okay. Nothing exciting. I haven't watched the news, though. It's been so busy trying to get the studio ready. Right, yeah. You've been very hard at work, so understandably. I've just been on vacation mode, so I'm not really, like, keeping up with anything right now. Yes. So I can jump right in if you're ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. So I'm going to do the Tyler Peterson case. um, And it's referred to by uh, the media as the blue on blue case. Okay. Okay. So on October 7, 2007, Tyler James Peterson, a 20 year old full time deputy in the Forest County Sheriff's Department, and a part-time police officer at the Crandon Police Department who was not on duty went to an apartment complex where a homecoming party was held at approximately 2.45 a.m. So you would think he's a police officer, there's nothing to fear, right? Right. So he entered into a specific apartment and things went awry. Um, So he ended up shooting seven people that ranged from the ages of 14 to 20. And tragically, this off-duty officer massacred six people. Um, So he wounded one and killed the rest. So let's get into why he did that and all of the background on why this 20-year-old was in this type of position. So Tyler was hired on September 11, 2006 as a full-time deputy at the age of 19. And that seems a bit young to me. It feels like a 19-year-old would not have the maturity to handle this type of responsibility. But I don't know the details on what went into the hiring process of this so I'm not really one to judge but it just seems strange to me because based off of myself and my own personal history at 19 I didn't know how to even wipe my own ass at that point you know like you're still a child yeah I couldn't regulate my emotions at 19 yeah um definitely was not as mature as I would be now um you know different rationality or you know rational skills have developed and It just seems like a a jump. It definitely does. So Chief John Denae said that uh, 
Tyler had met the state requirements to be a police officer, and we had no indication that he would extract murderous revenge on anyone, end quote. Additionally, it was stated that no psychological screening was performed in this hiring process. There's an interesting thing in Wisconsin where different counties and jurisdictions have different rules for hiring. Like, Outagamie County is a little bit stricter. City of Appleton says they prefer to hire, like, older police. But a lot of cities just like, oh, you're done with high school? Got a GED? Right. You want to be a cop? Right. Come on board. Right. Yeah. And it it even differs from state to state because we'll get into all that, but that's a good point. So, according to the statement by Chief Denae, this was, in fact, fueled by revenge. Uh, students at Crandon High School or recent graduates were having a pizza party, celebrating homecoming, just doing what teenage, you know, teenagers do. And then Tyler went to this apartment, not in response to, like, a noise disturbance or a complaint by neighbors. He went there because his ex-girlfriend, Jordane Murray, was there. And you see, like, a jealous, immature young man in a position of power with access to a gun is a deadly combination in some situations. Definitely. He came into the apartment wanting to get back together with Jordan, but Jordan was not having it. They started arguing in front of everybody, and then she ended up calling him a worthless pig. Um, We don't really know why they had broken up or why she called him that, but that's what happened. So that triggered him to storm out and go get his AR rifle from his car. And then he fired 30 times into the apartment. And it ended up killing Katrina McCorkle, who was 18, Leanna Thomas, who was 18, Aaron Smith, who was 20, Lindsay Staw, who was 14, and Jordan, his ex-girlfriend, who was 18. So, after the shooting, Tyler called Leon Stentz, the Forest County District Attorney, about surrendering to the police. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't reach an agreement and nothing came from this conversation. So, when asked how Tyler was on the phone, um, the DA stated that he was calm and he understood the situation he was in. Which is a little bit more freaky to me than somebody Mm -hmm. that's like oh my god this is crazy and i can't believe i did this and said he was like i understand i get it i know what i did yeah a local pastor by the name of bill farr wrote a statement from uh his family at the news conference and pastor farr relayed that they were in shock and their statement was that a quote was not the tyler we knew and loved and that they feel tremendous amount of guilt and shame for the acts tyler committed as well as sorrow and grief for the victims and their families end quote so then basically he's on the run Mm -hmm. he made his few phone calls and then um he ended up going to somebody else's house in the middle of all this. So then a manhunt ensued. And not just any old manhunt. This was a massive manhunt involving dozens of law enforcement officers, aircrafts, and dogs that scoured 7,000 miles of, you know, Wisconsin roads. And it's rural. Right. So there's a lot of uh, coverage that they needed to go over. And a statement from acting administrator for the Department of Justice Division of Criminal Investigation. It's a mouthful. It is. <laughs> Mike Mazowski, 
And I'm not going to lie, that kind of reminded me of Monsters, Inc. That's Mike Wazowski. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, throughout the early morning, law enforcement agencies from throughout the state were contacted, were en route, and were fanning out to protect communities and locate Peterson. Law enforcement faced uphill odds in locating Peterson, end quote. And turns out Tyler managed to go to his friend's house shortly after he had killed six people and injured one. Uh, his lifelong friend, Mike Kegley, stated to the press that Tyler came to his door and calmly explained what had just happened over coffee and food. Um, Mike stated he, was running, he wasn't running around crazy or anything. He was very, very sorry for what he did, end quote. After he had left, uh, Mike called 911 to alert um, them that he had a visitor. And by that time, he was long gone. So it wasn't really helpful, but it did track where he was and, like, what kind of state of mind he was in. Yeah. So, unfortunately, Tyler knew the area very well. He knew police tactics because he was trained. He had a radio in order to listen to transmissions, and he had a weapon, and he, at that point, was capable of anything. So that is a lot of things mm-hmm. going against the the police and people that were trying to locate him. Right. At 10.02 a.m., seven hours and 16 minutes after Tyler killed his ex-girlfriend and five other friends, officers' search was coming to a close. Their suspect had been found, and he was located in the county at a cabin. A co-owner of the property had called the police, uh, stating that Tyler had shown up to her cabin, they started staging to attempt to apprehend him. They suspected that he would become deadly as officers knew that he had a pistol with him. So they were preparing for the worst. Right. I would be too. Yeah. Yeah. Confrontation was at their forefront of everyone's mind. Armored vehicles surrounded the cabin. Nearby roads were blocked off and Forest County requested a canine unit. At about 12.30 p.m., Tyler walked hurriedly into the woods near the cabin, and a sniper fired just before he vanished from sight, not really knowing if he actually hit Tyler or not. Mm -hmm. And then they heard three more shots. They were quieter than the first one, and it came from Tyler's location. So a tactical team rushed to towards the the woods um yelling for him for him to surrender and they found him lying on his back in the tall grass one agent stepped on his right arm to hold him down and then they basically removed the gun and handcuffed him but then when they rolled him over they realized that he was dead and that he was the one who shot himself oh wow so from the community's aspect of it all uh they were obviously a lot of questions were raised specifically on how tyler peterson could have met requirements to become a law enforcement officer especially after police acknowledged that tyler received no psychological screening before he was hired and some people that's crazy yeah and some people in the community question the wisdom of hiring someone so young steve Bokek of Oak Creek, whose nephew Bradley Schultz was killed, stated, quote, 
No person that I've ever known at 20 years old was responsible enough to be a police officer. No it's one. <laughs> unbelievable. You don't have to mind. You don't have the mind to be a police officer. It takes a lot, end quote, which it does. It does. It's a lot of responsibility. It is. And it's really just like psychologically draining. Yes. And to be a teenager. Right, right. Exactly. Like, it not only... Um, decision-making-wise, but just the the mental imprint that it imposes on you, seeing, you know, really extreme circumstances that officers do have to go through, um, whether that ranges from, you know, domestic violence to, uh, you know, family annihilations. Like, it's all the most extreme type of behavior. Yeah. And for somebody that young that is not maybe that prepared it's incredibly dangerous yeah i mean if you can't even be trusted to drink alcohol mm-hmm. yes you're not old enough to drink or buy cigarettes now right but you can be a police officer. but you can be a police officer so crandon city attorney lindsey erickson fired back and stated that age doesn't matter as long as officers do their jobs well peterson testified for her in several cases He wrote good reports and was true to his job from what I saw of him. I didn't see any warning signs or red flags, end quote. Hmm. So Dr. Phil Trompetter, a police psychologist in Modesto, California, estimated at least 80% of states require psychological testing of prospective officers. Um, He stated Wisconsin must be in a very small minority of states that don't have to do that. End quote. Uh, so listen to this. The Wisconsin Department of Justice Law Enforcement Standards Boards requires only that applicants be free of an, any emotional or mental condition that might hinder them in their duties. It does not say how that is determined. Most importantly, they do not adhere to any nationwide standards, which includes a standard phys, uh, psych eval, which is from Wisconsin standpoint. Wow. So... Classes were canceled after this massacre happened so that students could mourn. And remembering the victims, they thought about Bradley Schultz, who was a third-year criminal justice major at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, who hoped to be a homicide detective. He was home visiting friends and appeared to have died trying to protect another at that party. Oh, wow. And this is just one life that was cut short out of the, the six. That's so sad. Right. The lone survivor, Charlie Nitzel, who was 21, was upgraded to serious condition at one point, but then over time, his condition improved, thankfully. Crandon High School senior Drew Stamper, who was 17, played Amazing Grace on his bagpipes outside of his home in Crandon on Thursday, October 11th. He played his bagpipes for the next seven days as his tribute to the the people that were killed and and wounded by Tyler, which was pretty Wisconsin of us to have, <laughs> you know, a memorial with bagpipes in it, you know? Definitely. Um, so here was a good quote from an article on Police One. Quote, there will always be officers who will tarnish the badge by forcing fellow officers to fire at them because of their imminent and deadly intent inspired right by criminality or suicidal thoughts. If you discover yourself engaging in a standoff and and an armed fellow officer, you can use care and empathy in your negotiations. 
but do not jeopardize your safety. Do not let your relationship cause you to abandon good, solid tactics during the event, end quote. I believe... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I believe that there are good people as police officers and have met many. However, what would strengthen this force would be following a national standard, continuing education, psych evals, deep and thorough background checks, ongoing training on empathy and non-deadly ways to de-escalate situations. All these things can help save lives, including people that are on the actual, you know, police force. Um, Just really good training really good understanding of the responsibility it takes of taking a life and just making sure that they're routinely getting psych evals just to make sure that they are monitored, that their mental state is is good enough to protect and serve our community. Right. And that is the story of Tyler Peters- Peterson, um, known as the Blue on Blue case. You did a great job. Thank you. I remember hearing about that and thinking, like, this is crazy. Oh, so you did, yeah, you did hear about that? Yeah, I didn't recognize it when you stated what it was called. Yeah. Because, like, because I never remember people's names. Right, yeah. It is a lot of, you know, cases that we go through, so I totally understand. So many cases. Yeah. I was trying to find, okay, so my episode today is going to be about, oh, I found it now. Uh, a previous case that I talked about. Okay. There's updates. <gasps> oh, interested. So, on episode three, okay. Don't be a sister wife. I discussed the murders of Tana Togstead and Tim Mumbrew. I'm gonna go through a brief summary for people that may yeah. not have heard it, and then I'm gonna get into the updates because I'm so excited to have a case update. Yes. And it was something I never saw coming. And this is our first case update, right? This is our first case update. Woo! Yeah. The first solved of my unsolved Oh my god, cases. that deserves some snaps. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, and it just happened. So. Yes. I am so excited. So my whole story I had planned was like out the window. I was like, I have to talk about this today. Absolutely. So let me see here. Tana Tagstead Tagstead was 23 and Tim Mumbrew was 35 when they were murdered in the town of Royalton, Wisconsin in March of 1992. The pair were found stabbed to death in their rural farmhouse, which was Tana's residence. And there was very limited details about the case at the time, but... People had a lot of theories about, like, where people... She was working at the cheese factory, and she was associated with people that had been accused of crimes, and... Okay. The whole thing was just crazy. She... Both of them were stabbed. She was stabbed twice. Tim was stabbed multiple times, like, he was fighting off the attacker. Mm-hmm. And you might remember this part, because they stabbed her dog. Oh, shit, yeah. Ugh. Leave yeah. the dogs out of this. Yeah. So they had all these suspects. This Glendon Gawker was a suspect. They had found some of his DNA at the house. They were sure that he had done it. And then he had killed other people, other places. So they're like, he has to be involved. Right. But the police are like, no, he's not on our top list of things. So then they went on to accuse other people. And at the end of the day, nobody had any idea what really happened. So, 
now we have some updates. Okay. Just two days ago. Wow, so it's real recent? Yeah, real recent, just two days ago. A Wisconsin man admitted to the 1992 killings of the couple. And this is so crazy. So a 30-year-old, this case was 30 years old now. And this man has now been charged. He's 52. So he was 22 at the time. Okay. And this was apparently a revenge killing. Oh. Yes. He says he fatally stabbed both of them because his father was killed in a snowmobile accident. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is deep. Yeah. So when they discovered the bodies, they had no idea what was going on, like I said. So there's been so many investigations, so many DNA samples. But on July 6th of this year, a DNA sample was collected from a pen that this man, Hayes, was using. They took the the pen from him during a traffic stop and got his DNA off of it. Wow. And it was analyzed, and the results revealed him to be a major male contributor that was consistent with the profile previously detected from the bodily fluids recovered from the body of Tagstead. So he apparently assaulted her as well. Oh, come on. He was escorted out of his job at the Woodpacker Foundry by a sergeant and an FBI special agent on August 11th, right now, this year. Wow. And... He said he was, his father was friends with Togstead's father, and they were racing snowmobiles on December 31st, 1977, when the accident occurred and Hayes' father was killed. So he had no memory of the homicides, is what he's saying now, but he recalls having blurbs of memories that he was involved. He says he became drunk and started thinking about his dad's accident, mm. which prompted him to kill the man's daughter and boyfriend. Right, and you started off saying that this is revengeful, but this is more like, uh, this is further from revenge because it's like, you would think that the person who caused the death would be the target, but this is somebody completely yeah. not involved. Yeah. So he said he just went there and he got into a scuffle with Tim and then remembers stabbing him and remembers punching Tana in the face. Oh, God. And knocking her unconscious. He also remembers seeing it on the news and thinking, like, oh, my God, what did I do? How do you forget that you murdered two people? How do you... And a dog. And a, Okay, you, and a dog. Why did you murder the fucking dog? Yeah, just... <sighs> Neither of these people deserve to die either. No. But the dog definitely had nothing to do with whatever psychotic ideas you had about life that day. <laughs> <laughs> That's facts. You want to know how I really feel? Yeah. <laughs> so he is now in jail on a $2 million cash bond. And he has been charged with two counts of first-degree murder, which each carry a life sentence. And they are still looking for more tips and evidence. He will be going to trial eventually. So, wow, we finally have a case that was solved. Yes. Just and nope. I mean, how would you have thought about that? That's always my thing when I'm looking at these cases. Is at the end of the day, we have no idea who anybody could have found a reason to want to kill you. 
Yes, and you would think the people that are on my at the top of the list could be mm-hmm. not the person, and then somebody you never you know expect yeah. to do it. Yeah, totally out of left field. Yeah, because I went through and researched like six different suspects in this case, and his name was never mentioned. And they were all like, "Okay, I understand. Yeah, why they would be suspects. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's crazy. Some of them were actual killers, right? <laughs> and there was nothing else and that he's ever done. This is in Wapaka. Like, how many murderers are in Wapaka? Uh, are you guys gonna get mad at me if you live in Wapaka? I'm not oh, saying Wapaka's bad. Oh, yeah. Like we got <laughs> called out the other time for calling Green Bay creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Creepy things happen in Wisconsin. We don't yes. hate you because no. we're in Wisconsin talking about all the crimes that happen in Wisconsin. All the cities have creepy factors. We're all, you know, we're, all a little we're living creepy. among creepy people. Like we I'm a little creepy sometimes. Yeah, we're good creepy, but no, we're not but w- what we're saying, we're not targeting any specific location. It's just it's scary to think how many people are uh, evil that live among us and that's what we're mm-hmm. saying yeah and if you take offense to that you're at the wrong podcast yeah because we're just having fun and telling you <clears throat> stories yeah giving you information you can listen to npr if you, you want to yeah they will not give you their commentary no we're having a conversation with each other yeah we say ridiculous shit yes and we can because it's our podcast yeah she's coming for you today but we love you guys but we love you (laughs) bye bye all the sins of wisconsin was written recorded edited and produced by fallon and mims thank you so much to all of our listeners supporters friends and family that continually allow us to do what we love If you love our show as much as we love you, please give us a glowing rating and review. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we are up to and email us your sinner tales at allthesinsofwi at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins of Wisconsin are available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't Don't forget, forget, we we love love you. you.